0: Like, I don't regret the six business failures, you know. I don't regret the late nights and, uh, you know, the sacrifices that I've had to make. But I can tell you what I do regret is the things <laughs> that I... looking at
1: you like I, she does. <laughs> she knows.
0: But, you know, you, you re, you're only going to regret the things that you didn't do. You know, that's that's the truth. It's um, Rich Mulholland said a great story about um, her, her grandmother, or his grandmother was basically dying on, a, on her deathbed and she was crying and he said to her why are you crying and she said when i was 20 years old it was
1: in the war something like that i feel so bad that you would speak because this is another great story in the yep. book that you know you don't want to give it away um okay, i'm gonna stop there yeah i, th- I think you should stop there. i'm really sorry but there are a lot of those uh, beautiful stories in the book i think that is one of them just you want to keep personally that's a great cliffhanger well done. <laughs> do you want to just repeat <laughs> it and then just stop there <laughs> no no it's fine Hey guys, so last week
0: my book, Your Inner Game, 12 Principles for High Impact Entrepreneurs was launched officially at Exclusive Books in Hyde Park right here in Johannesburg. The sold out event was hosted by none other than entrepreneur, TV presenter and friend Maps Mappanyani who quizzed me about the backstory to the book and unpacked with me some of the insights and lessons I've learned from interviewing extraordinary people changing the African and global business landscape right here on this podcast. But before we dive into the meat and the potatoes and to set up what you are about to hear, I reached out to listeners of the show and offered one of my fans the opportunity to do a live read of the book. And the lucky winner was none other than Kira Wolf. So without further ado, let's get on with the show.
2: 98% of businesses fail in their first 10 years. Of the 2% that survive, only a fraction of them achieve high impact growth. What's their secret? Over the course of four years, Matt Brown has interviewed hundreds of local and international entrepreneurs and business experts for his podcast. And with a listenership in over 100 countries around the world, the Matt Brown Show has created a lexicon of business, growth, startup, and funding hacks that anyone can learn from and implement. He has come to the conclusion that the single defining factor between entrepreneurs who make it and those who don't is internal. It's all about the inner game. Entrepreneurs with a strong inner game live, breathe, and work according to a set of principles that define everything they do. In your inner game, 12 Principles for High-Impact Entrepreneurs, Matt draws on the lessons he's learned both as an entrepreneur who has launched nine businesses and as a podcast host with what with hundreds of interviews under his belt he delves into what separates great businesses from the mediocre peers the mindset that entrepreneurs should embrace if they want to grow their businesses and ultimately the secret to building a business of purpose that fulfills a greater need for the founders full of real-life anecdotes tips Success hacks and actionable insights that you can implement in your own startup or business, Your Inner Game unpacks 12 principles that you can put into your practice today to take your life and business from good to great. Thoughtful, honest, and willing to reveal both the highs and lows of entrepreneurship, Matt takes his readers on a journey that will give them the blueprint to relook at everything they thought they knew about business.
3: Hi, everybody. Awesome to see you all here. Welcome. Enjoy your evening. I'm Tracy. I'm Matt's publisher. Um, And I just want to welcome everybody. Tell everybody you've got to buy a copy of this book. It's going to change lives. Um, The principles that Matt speaks about are are really quite something. Um, If you would just indulge me, just a few thank yous. Thank you to the editors, Nadine. (laughs) (laughs) and Claire thank you to Trisha the typesetter thank you to Matt's incredible team at Digital Kung Fu (laughs) 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 thank you to Mups for being our in conversation partner reach and thank you to Exclusive Books uh, for hosting the launch and to Marlise who's the branch manager and her team thank you thank you Um, So this evening, Mups and Matt are going to have a conversation about some of the topics that are covered in the book. And after they have spoken, the floor will be open for a few questions. Please do buy a copy of the book, more than one. Pass it on to friends, family, colleagues, and Matt will sign the copy of your book for you. Um, Mups is... I don't really need to introduce him. He's one of South Africa's favourite personalities. (laughs) He is a style icon, a designer, a businessman, an actor, a TV presenter. What more can I say? South Africa's good guy. (laughs) And then my last thanks is to Matt. Matt, thank you. It's been my privilege to be your publisher. And I really do believe your book's going to change people's perspectives. And once someone's read this book, they're going to know there's absolutely no excuse to not do whatever they want. Over to and to Maps.
1: Thanks, Tracy. Thank you very much. And congratulations to Tracy on yet another book.
4: I yes. think a big round of applause for her.
1: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this uh, Thursday evening. I know that uh, we're easing into what, what is a pseudo Friday today um, as we get to enjoy a bit of a long weekend. For all the women in the crowd, happy Woman's Day for tomorrow. <laughs> It's all about you tomorrow and all about you all month and should be all about you every day. Um, Yes, pretty much. Thank you for joining us. This is uh, something I really love talking about. Uh, It's actually great to be on this side of the conversation with uh, Matt because uh, Matt and his team, um, uh, his his team is awesome. Uh, Well, Really, they're collectively called Matt and the Brownies. Um, (laughs) He has this this great podcast. I'm sure each and every one of you have listened to over one million downloads and um, even more streams across the world, across 100 countries, um, which is uh, absolutely incredible. And it's conversations about entrepreneurship, conversations about your life journeys to success, failure, um, but I I, always love in those conversations how... it really highlights the failures and how important that is, which is something that we'll get into a little bit later. And it's something that I feel has helped. Um, a lot of the conversations you've had, those people become the successes they have is by embracing that. Um, this will be a great success, this book. Um, I will have to also put it uh, upon me to to help promote as much as possible because I think people do need to go out and read this book. And this is a really, really big thing. So congratulations to you. Um, and I think uh, for putting yourself on the block like that and writing a book first and foremost um, you just turned 40 I don't even so look at pu-
0: published before
1: 40 so. <laughs> hashtag published before 40 <laughs> hashtag a blessed um, <laughs> you are a father and now you are an author you're, you're, you're a businessman but why the decision to, to go about and, and do that now peer pressure Basically,
0: peer pressure. I've been, I've been approached numerous times by, uh, by Tracy to write a book. Uh, many of my peer group had said, write a book, write a book, write a book, write a book. And eventually, I just took the plunge and said, screw it, I, uh, I'm going to do this thing. And then uh, penned the deal with uh, Tracy. And then nine months later, she phoned me and said, where's the book? <laughs> and I was like, I haven't started yet. <laughs> Um, and because you know writing a book is a difficult thing, and you know imposter syndrome is a very real thing. Uh, people think that you know success happens overnight, and there was no failure, and there was no inner doubt whatsoever, or no fear of failure. So writing a book, it's it's very different to you know creating a video for LinkedIn or for social media, because if you've got you know ten thousand people on LinkedIn and like a hundred see that today, that's it. It's gone. It's it's nev- no one will ever see that again. Uh, but with a book, it's always there, and you're kind of trapped in what you write. And the, and the kind of tension that I still have even sitting here today is that, you know, people change. Like each and every one of you here today are on a personal transformation journey. Some, you know, care to admit that and some don't. But deep down, everybody knows. And we're always trying to work out, like, who we are and what, what are our unique gifts and what actions should I take and who should I take these, these kind of, you know, actions with. Um, and uh, you know you change, and so I, I was talking earlier this week on a show about uh, you know when I'm 50 and I read the book, will I still buy into the words? Will it still be me? And um, and that was a really big thing. You know, was trying to find your voice and trying to find what makes you unique and what makes your story different, and then trying to articulate that in a way that people will find memorable, relatable, and understandable.
1: And it certainly is uh, draws a lot of nostalgia, which helps, I think, take people to certain periods of, of time in the country um, and try and draw back on their own stories and sort of then try think of what you were thinking while you're letting us into your thoughts and try and track your journey um, along the way. I, I love the whole example of your dad um, being an entrepreneur himself. And um, I think the company is called Cape Gun, was it Cape? Cape Handgun, yeah. Cape Handgun, and how that um, seemed like such a great success until it became an absolute failure in the end because it just, you know, it it, it didn't go to plan. And it's something that you thought would always continue to be a success, Um, but unfortunately, um, what it looked like from the outside was not what was happening on the inside, and timing was everything.
0: Yeah, timing was everything. It was a difficult time for our country. So um, Chris Harney got shot and my dad just happened to have the foresight to have a private gun shop so anyone from the public could go and, you know, buy guns over the counter like you would buy literally a book. And, um, you know, when Chris Honey got shot, we were literally on the brink of civil war and I was about sort of 12 years old. And um, they printed money. They, they sold more guns than, you know, it was just cash, cash, cash every single day. Um, and they did very well out of it. But the business eventually failed. And, you know, that was the spark of curiosity, really, for me. It was kind of like saying, well, why, why didn't it get bigger? Do you know what I mean? Like, if you, if you achieve some form of success, why does it stop? Why do, why do things kind of taper off and then, and then, as we all know, like 98% of small businesses fail? But why is that? And so that was really the curiosity and the spark of my journey in terms of entrepreneurship. The answer very simply was it comes down to, funnily enough, you're in game. Like their model of business didn't lend itself to scale, number one. And number two, they weren't hungry for scale. You know, the difference between a guy who builds a really big fucking business and one who builds a kind of small mom-and-pop shop, and that's fine. I'm not saying that one's better than the other. But if you do have the ambition to build a really big business, there's only one word that you need to remember, and that's hunger. You know, you've got to be hungry for risk. You've got to be hungry for walking that wire every single day Uh, and being curious about what's in it for you first and then what's in it for you and the people that work with you to support the vision of that business. And that's a very important lesson. Um, You know, and the other thing I want to say, just, you know, I've I've interviewed hundreds of successful, like billionaires in four continents, and the thing that really jumps for me is not one of them view themselves as successful. You know, like, you know, I could call you successful, but I know deep down that you don't view yourself as successful. Uh, because you know success equals mediocrity. You know what is success? What does it actually mean? You know how will you know when you get there? And is it enough? You know, and those are the questions that be- how much is enough? How much is enough? Is it a billion dollars, is it a hundred million? Like, what really matters to you? And the thing with entrepreneurs, especially startup founders, is that they kind of get romanced about the Silicon Valley narrative. You know, it's like, you know, I'm going to start a business and six months later, I'm going to, you know, sell that business for $100 million, I'm going to move to the south of France in my super yachts and I'm going to do Bolivian cocaine with a bunch of Russian supermodels. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's this dream. And, you know, and the media paints this picture and it's not true. Because for every one of those media clippings where it's like, you know, Lyft raises $30 million in seed round, I mean, it's crazy money. You know, for every one of those headlines, there's hundreds of thousands of crushed dreams. And those are the people that I care about. You know, I don't care about the guys who are successful. By the way, even if they did raise that money, I can promise you they don't actually fully accept the realities of what that means because suddenly you're an employee again. Now you've got investors that want 20 times of their money back, but you didn't, you didn't sign up for that. You just wanted the dream.
1: Which happens to end up being a failure for, well, the, the, the problem for a lot of entrepreneurs, and they end up losing out on their own dream because they end up working for someone else at the end of the day. Just a little disclaimer um, all, the book is very PG, although our conversation is 16 SNL. Um, and those little moments, just <laughs> so you know. Um, this is where it gets brutally um, honest and very and um, and very um, what 's the word authentic uh, very authentic and and graphic speaking of authentic and uh, and graphic just a, a, a bit of a light note today is like a bit like your wedding day for some of your family members. I heard uh, your wife, Nina, who you shout out at the start of the book, actually wanted you to wear white. <laughs> Which possibly would have gone with that whole Peruvian drug dealer whole. It would have. <laughs> it like know, you were it referring would have. to? Hindsight's perfect science. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, in the book, what I particularly love is you're able to kind of group mantras essentially with each chapter for people to be able to um, walk away with. So um, I will find my purpose. I will not live with regrets. I will be. I will not. Be Fearless, But I Will Fear Less, and um, many others, but I'd love to just dissect a few of those, uh, particularly starting off with um, remembering your why and finding your purpose. So,
0: um, I don't know if, if, how many of you have heard of a guy called Joey Evans before? Okay, so... Um, I heard about him in your book. Uh, yeah, it's actually in my book, you should check it out. Um, yeah, so so Joey Evans, his, his passion was uh, motocross riding and... His why was, you know, I want to compete in the world's longest and toughest endurance race, the Dakar. And unfortunately, life has a way of throwing you curveballs. And he was uh, in a motorbike motorbike race and essentially very long story short or long story long. (laughs) But basically, he was crippled from the neck down. He was told he would never walk again. He's got four daughters, all right, and a wife. So imagine that. And slowly but surely over time... he overcame his injury. And even when he started to go through the incredible pain of rebuilding his body and his motor his motor system, his motor neuron system, uh, he was in another accident and literally got taken out, put in hospital for six months. And he got back again after that horrific accident and eventually raised 1.5 million rand to enter the Dakar. Only seven South Africans have ever finished the Dakar. And he finished it. And even in the race, this is crazy, crazy stories. There's no way he should have made it. There was no way. And it's those kind of stories that help me or really helped me to understand the power of human potential that lies within everybody. And, we're, and we need to acknowledge the fact through these stories that this potential lies in all of us. The only difference is that, is that you need to fully decide that it's, this is the thing that I will do regardless of what stands in my way. And it's very easy to say the words, but when you live your own kind of self-worth and your own expectations of yourself and your own fears and your own inner doubt through the stories of others, that's as, that is when you start to relate. That's when you start to you know, rewire your brain and just make new connections in terms of your own unique possibilities. Because, And that's what I fundamentally believe. I mean, when I started podcasting four years ago, I was a complete... Fraud. Like I, was, I had zero confidence. I'd failed too many times to, uh, to care to really write about. I kind of alluded to a, a few of them in the book. But I, I lacked what I needed to become successful. And I cannot put into words the transformational journey that just having ordinary conversations has had in my own life. And the book is really a chronology, a lexicon of the most powerful stories that I've encountered over four years of researching and really building a a global media platform that is there to exist for one reason only, and that is to help entrepreneurs and business leaders around the world succeed through information sharing at scale. That was always the why. If I didn't have that why, I would never, I should have stopped podcasting after two weeks. I nearly did. (laughs) I nearly did. Yeah. But thank God I didn't, because it wouldn't, be, wouldn't you know, it be where we are today.
1: Well, even, even on that, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that right now. Just on remembering your why. Um, I'm very lucky enough to know what my why is. Uh, you may be lucky enough to know what your, your why is. Joey Evans was lucky enough to know what their why is. But a lot of people don't really know what their why is. So when it comes to that moment of wanting to quit whatever it is they're doing and trying to remember what their why is, how do you actually help them tap into what that even was? Because you can lose sight of that too. Yeah, it's a difficult thing. I don't think
0: you, you ever find it. You're not going to find the perfect relationship. You're not going to find the perfect job. You're not going to find the perfect business. You're not going to find your purpose. You have to create things. You have to be at cause, not at effect. So when you decide that I'm going to create this purpose for my life, you need to execute on that and figure out whether that is in fact something that you want. The difference is that people oftentimes they don't even try. So, an interesting way to get perspective, like real perspective, not an opinion, and and a perspective that's your own is to think about your death. So, the day that you die, right? So, imagine for a moment, just stop and imagine for a moment that it's the day of your funeral, okay? Your best friend or one of your family members is talking about you. What are they saying? Imagine the actual words. Hear the words. What are they actually saying about you? Who did you become? Who did you help What contribution to the world and society did you make? You know, those are the questions that truly matter. Um, And so thinking about your death, and it was an interview I did with Robin Wheeler, another author who's written like way more books than I ever will. But he wrote this book called Death is the Ultimate Orgasm. And we were talking about the power of death You know, and thinking, because I think when you're born, your death is is immediately intertwined in that event. We We will all die. That is the only certainty. And so when you understand that and you work backwards to where you are today and the time that you have left, what are you going to do about it? What words can you imagine? What words would you like people to describe about you? Right? And is that enough? You know, are they going to say that you became super wealthy and you, you, know, you sold a business for $100 million? Or are they going to care that you started the Dreamers Dojo and it was an initiative that was there to interrupt the kind of screwed up school system that exists today? And to f- make kids and the youth future fit for an exponentially driven world. Like what are they going to say about you? And, it's, and it takes reflection. You know, people, you know, we don't remember the experiences, remem- we remember how we felt and when you reflect on things, that's when you remember things. You know, and so reflection is one of the... It's free, by the way. <laughs> and when you reflect on your life, and you reflect on the people that are in your life, where and what are you going to do with it? What is your story? What bullshits are you telling yourself about why you can't have the things in your life? You know, and I was that person. And it was only through individual conversations, just like this, the power of an ordinary conversation... And that has the, the power to transform ordinary people and to do what help them to unlock the capabilities to do extraordinary things.
1: Yeah, and personally, um, I, I know I've never, to a certain extent, felt good enough in a lot of the things that I do. Um, it deepened my imposter syndrome, not featuring in the book at all, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, you're in the but, next one. But, um, you're out game. <laughs> out again. But in terms of that purpose, quite literally for you, those reminders that you have around you for remembering your direction, your, your, your true north, um, you know, kind of mapping things out for you. What are those things that keep you moving towards, um, you know, what that next thing always is for you so that you know that you're moving forward? And I use those kind of um, different um, analogies, so to speak, uh, because of the tattoo on your left forearm of the compass.
0: Yeah, I've got tattoos all over me. <laughs> Um, but that's a discussion for another day. But basically, you know, it is about understanding what your true north is, you know, and I use the analogy of, you know, if you're building a business, it's like going to sea, right? Um, And I'll use the actual story. So there was a guy, a military general, put all of his ships on boats, invaded a foreign land, and when they got to the foreign land, he told all his lieutenants to burn all the ships. Why would he do that? Because there's only one way. You have to go forward. And that is the difference. You know, it's like if you if you remember what your true north is, your why and why you exist as an individual first and your role in the lives of others, the immediate role in the lives of others, um, that's when magic happens. That's when Joey Evans can decide he's going to walk again when six doctors tell him he will never walk again. Where does that come from? Where does that belief in one's capability Come from, and this is documented in like countless stories. This is very, very real. It's not just. It's not a, an opinion. This is the truth, and uh, and the book is really, uh, you know, my, my probably one of the biggest outcomes is just to get people to understand that there's more within you.
1: Your inner game code, is that something that you came up with yourself?
0: <laughs> no, no, that was my wife.
1: <laughs> you should really um, cite your. Uh, <laughs> Um, such your sources in your in your book, but um, it, but <laughs> she is mentioned. You know, <laughs> why did that strike such a chord with you to identify it as that? I
0: think there's a lot of business books uh, out there that write about strategy and disruption and innovation and tech adjacent and all. It's all external, you know, um, and I, 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 you know. In the nine months that I was waiting to, to write a single word, that was the question that I had in my mind, which was what am I going to write about what's going to make the biggest difference and um, you know on the podcast it was purely through the experiences that I had interviewing people such as yourself etc and we spoke about legacy for instance it's everything in business is personal it's weird it's like one of the probably one of the biggest lessons like if I were to draw a pie bar pie sort of graph and say, well, you know, of the 100%, how much a business is kind of business and personal, I'd say it's 80% personal, 20% business. Because a business can only grow to the extent that you do. That is the absolute fact. And, you know, your world can't change unless you grow. You have to, it has to come from inside of you. That, that book, you know, my sister I spoke to her yesterday, I said, what do you think about the book, Massive Imposter Syndrome? And she, she just said, it's totally you.
4: Yeah. Stay with us.
1: I'm assuming that's a good thing. I would hope so. (laughs) It's too late now. (laughs) How difficult or how much easier did you find that it was to be able to write this book, being able to draw from all your interviews... Coupled with your experiences as opposed to just your experiences? Or is it just more of what you emphasize in the book of making sure that you put yourself out there to experience as much as possible and use those um, learnings um, that you experience and other people's mistakes and experiences to create your, your own success in the end?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, the book's actually less about me. I, I mean, I kind of wrote it, but it's actually about ordinary humans doing extraordinary things. And so that, that's actually what made the book uh, easier to write. You know, obviously it has to come from you. There's a lot of me in there. But really it's about, you know, life's too short to make your own mistakes, you know. And if you really want to learn how to shortcut and hack growth as an individual first and then financially and economically and whatever that means to you and whatever success means to you, it's about other people. You know, and discovering what other people have learned so that you don't have to have motorbike accidents and be told you're never going to be walking again in order to learn the thing about belief. Does it make sense? Um, or about the value of legacy, you know? Um, and whatever that is, but uh, it's about other people first. I don't know what it is, but it's like when you put the world before yourself, that's when you really start to find that things
1: unlock for you. And speaking of putting the world before yourself and things unlocking for you, in your section of not living without regrets or with regrets, with regrets, there is a certain doctor that you speak to, um, physicist, innovator, Dr. Adriana, and she's one of the ladies who will be journeying into Mars and will actually be leaving her entire life behind her, her family, and has chosen that this... You know, she, she's known that this is what she wants to do her whole life, live on another planet and die on another planet and explore another planet. And for me, I can't even fathom that. Um, I, I think about my death all the time. I'm seeing someone about that. Um, but, but I can't... I we should c- talk. <laughs> I can't possibly fathom that massive decision of just being like, yeah, I'm leaving everyone here. I'm, she's in her, I think, early 30s or something, or late 30s. Yeah, she's young. She, she's quite young. She's in her early 30s, um, and not to say more than that is, is, is not young, um, but she's decided that she's leaving everything behind, and she's going to go and die there and leave her whole life here. But for her, it's the most incredible thing, and she's so excited. How are you able to relay someone's story like that when it's even hard to just fathom that as just in conversation? Yeah, I I don't
0: understand some people, like I don't. But that's fine for them, you know what I mean? But also the other thing is, you know, it's also about accepting that things are the way that they are for you. Like for her, she's accepted her truth, which is, hey, I'm going to Mars and and like, hey, cheers, mom, cheers, dad, cheers, brother, like, uh, cheers, all my friends. I will never see you again. I'm going to Mars and I'm going to die there. Imagine that making, imagine making that decision, and then your mom, honey, listen. Um, you know, are you really sure? Are you 100% sure? No, I'm definitely. I'm gone. I'm like I'm there. You know what I mean? Like I'm done. What about like? But what about kids? Like no puppies, dog? No, I'm going to Mars. I'm gonna go die on Mars. Because that's her thing, right? Because, But the thing is, right, it's like, you, you know, I believe that the only reason why she's able to have such conviction is that she accepts her story for, the, for, for it being what it is. Yeah. You know, and I spoke, you know, we're doing this whole series on my show at the moment called Women of Steel. And uh, people aren't, they're too scared to really address the psychodrama that they have in their lives. Do you know what I mean? Why? It's like, you either get someone who's prepared... To address the truth about like horrific things that happened to you, because we all have pain sitting here today. Everyone, no one's uh, an angel. Um, and you know, if you really want to find out what makes you different, you have to go inside yourself and figure out that psychodrama shit. You have to address that shit, you know. And when you do, you find the story, yeah. you know. And that's the that's culminated in this book. But for Adriana going to Mars, that is her thing, you know. That is what lights her up and what makes her different.
1: I mean, I definitely think it's admirable. I just try to think of that impact that you have on, um, you know, your your family and the people around you and that it's it's essentially like a suicide and this person's gone, you'll never see them again, but they are alive. Um, And I think being able to relay that story is really powerful in terms of living your life without regrets and actually just going after um, whatever it is that you want to go after.
0: Yeah, because you're not going to regret the things you did. Yeah. Like, I don't regret the six business failures, you know. I don't regret the late nights and, uh, you know, the sacrifices that I've had to make. But I can tell you what I do regret is the things Nina's that I... Nina's looking at you like I, she does. <laughs> she knows. But, you know, you, you re, you're only going to regret the things that you didn't do. You know, that's, that's the truth. It's, um, Rich Mulholland said a great story about um, her, her grandmother, or his grandmother was basically dying on, a, on her deathbed, and she was crying. And he said to her, why are you crying? And she said, when I was
1: 20 years old, I was in the war or something like that. I feel so bad that you would speak. Because this is another great story in the yeah. book that, you know, you don't want to give it away. Um, okay, I'm going to stop there. Yeah, I, th- I think you should stop there. I'm really sorry. I, <laughs> I book's know, <laughs> But there, there, there are a lot of those uh, beautiful stories in the book. I think that is one of them just you want to keep personally. That's a great cliffhanger. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to just repeat it and then just stop there? No, no, it's fine. You got the message. Now, tell me about um, the fact that uh, that that section of I will not be fearless, I will be fear-less. As opposed to I will not be fearless, I will fear less.
0: It's a complicated question. (laughs) But um, I guess the the truth of that one is, you know, we all live with fear. Like, um, you know, when I I was 26 and I had my first business failure, I'd sold my record label previous to that and I decided it would be a really good idea to teach people about life. Kind of like weird. I feel like I've gone full circle over the last 14 years. Um, And the only thing about a 26-year-old is that no one wants to take advice from a 26-year-old about life. And so that business completely tanked. And when it did, it was my first real business failure where it was financial, it was motivational, it was self-worth, it was a complete dog show. And it took me a long time to pick myself up and actually say, you know what, I'm worth it, I'm going to take another shot. Um, And so it's fear, right? What if I fail again? I mean, there's so much stuff I could tell you personally about where we were at as a family. Like, it had to work. If it didn't work, I mean, I just had my first baby, um, it was a very, very touch-and-go situation. Um, and I remembered that time, and I remembered about the reason why I failed all those six times. And the simple reason was I decided to quit. The fear was too much, and I quit. It was just too much for me. I didn't have it in me. Um, I didn't have it in me then. But over time, I learned to accept that that was my truth, that failure is, ne- is a necessity, it's not an option you have to fail to be successful and today you know if i haven't failed today and every day i don't have a good day i encourage my team here to fail every single day because when they fail they get better you know and the other thing i learned about failure is that when a business fails like my best mate friend in here you know god forbid he has to have a business failure but the lesson, the lesson that I'd want him to know is that if, the, if that ever happens and a business fails, it's not you that failed. The business failed. But I didn't realize that. And it took a conversation with Alan Reyes, <laughs> uh, CEO of Reyes Corp., to learn that. That failure is, is not personal, right? It's just a necessity. And when you can distance yourself from that, you can start to unlock this idea of not living without fear, but instead, embracing fear and being fearless, I fear I can am able to make decisions despite of my fear. I'm able to make four job offers in a single week, <laughs> just because I can, you know. And being able to operate as a at a high at a higher performance level despite what I'm feeling inside, which is fucking complete petrification. You know what I mean? Like just really, really scared. But it's okay because that's normal, you know. Um, and you know, the thing about entrepreneurship, it's, it's like you don't, there is no certainty in entrepreneurship. The only thing that's certain about entrepreneurship is uncertainty yeah. and being able to accept the fact that fear is just part and parcel of this business.
1: Absolutely. And I think when it comes to that, um, if, if you sort of try and um, relate even more, is that if you aren't doing something that has that massive risk of failure, then you probably shouldn't be doing it all, then you're not trying hard enough. Um, then you're just sitting in your comfort zone, then it's not actually worth that um, undertaking if it's something that is going to be something that you know is going to work for sure. And what really are you going to be pushing out of yourself um, and putting out of yourself to create anything great, um, to break boundaries with or to take yourself to a next level if you are just going to do the same thing and don't have the actual really terrifying fear of failure
0: yeah you just, it's just you have to deal with it. Yeah. You know, but that's the thing. People don't recognize that the fear is what stops them from making decisions, yeah. and decisions are your ultimate powers. like when you really decide to leave an abusive relationship, you're going to leave that thing, right? But otherwise, the fear of not leaving that abusive relationship, what if I'm going to find someone else after I leave this man or woman, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if? And you know people worry about all these, all this stuff. But 99% of the things that I've worried about in my life never happen. Yeah. And so you become trapped by fear. Yeah. And it's, you, know, you get two types of entrepreneurs. Those who let the fear of failure define them. And then those that let the fear of failure push them forward. Yeah. And you have to decide from
1: day one what that's going to be. Because if you're on the fence, you're done. Let's talk imperfections. You talked about harnessing Failures, and uh, a big part of the book is also harnessing your imperfections um, to make them work in your advantage and not be discouraged by them, but instead use them to you know, take yourself a whole lot further.
0: So I had an interesting conversation about um, imperfection with Brian Altrich, the CEO of Rockamamas. How many of you like Rockamamas here? <laughs> Everyone, especially the youngsters. <laughs> but basically, uh, Brian built a massive business on imperfection weird, him. Eh? If you look at the actual hamburger patty of a Rockamama's hamburger versus what you get from a McDonald's or Burger King, it's perfect, right? It's the perfect hamburger. It's flat, there's no imperfections, the cheese is perfectly cut, etc., etc., etc. And Brian's whole thing was, well, I'm going to be different. And so he built the smash burger, which essentially is a mess. <laughs> so if you have six hamburgers on a plate, every single one of those hamburgers looks different. And he was recounting to me the story about um, these massive carpets that the Persians used to make. And it takes 12 men a year to make these carpets, right? Some crazy number like that. And what they do is they deliberately misstitch the carpets. Why would they do that? Because for them, God is perfect and nothing should be as perfect as God. But when you look at the value of these Persian rugs and what they go for, and they actually did these tests. It's a funny thing. They actually put all these rugs up and they put people through and they said, hey, just tell us which one of these rugs looks imperfect to you. And 95% of the um, subjects could identify the imperfect carpets. We are drawn to imperfection. You know, We are all flawed. <laughs> and it's like when you acknowledge the fact that you are flawed and when you can talk about your, your, your kind of flawedness Two people in an open and honest fashion, they go, geez, you know what? I'm like Matt Brown. I'm like, you know, Maps Mappanyani. I'm like Brendan. I'm like whoever it is, because people resonate with people who remind them most of themselves. It's a weird thing, but yet we try for this, we try and strive for this idea of perfection, but nothing's perfect. Who's perfect in this room? Anyone? Q? No? Anyone? You're kind of there, right? But you're not quite. (laughs) Um, and it's recognizing that truth, you know, and again, that comes back to your story recognizing that you are flawed, you're not perfect, so why should you try and achieve or live up to the expectations of others? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a, it's a nonsensical game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if I can, if you don't mind me bringing anything uh, personal, sort of regarding that, um, I think a lot of, even in terms of creating. Um, an image within uh, film, media, entertainment for myself has been on imperfection. In this case, being like virtually blind. I wear glasses doing everything. And whenever, when I started out, I couldn't get um, any type of um, gig, be it for uh, TV presenting or modeling or acting because I was the guy who was always wearing glasses and I just looked like, um, you know, boring, nerdy guy next door. Um, It wasn't cool enough, sexy enough. Um, and then I just decided that I was going to make it my thing, um, no matter what. And I pushed that as much as possible. And I remember an agency took a chance on me. And I got one job, then two jobs, and three jobs. And started building um, this sort of repertoire that other agencies started you know, create, trying to find guys with glasses. And that became a thing. Um, and that became a trademark for me where I just decided to stick to Me being who I am as MUPS and the fact that I wear glasses, I know I can barely see. And I'm going to make that my sort of um, trademark, call it cool factor um, with everything. And um, I think it's important to harness those kinds of things as much as possible to work on your failure. Um, From the first words I ever uttered till the age of about 12 years old, I had a very severe stutter. And I was made fun of nonstop in um, primary school, and um, you know, sort of the the, the, the end of high, uh, primary school. Um, and it's uh it's something where it was really tough to you know fit in with friends. You've got adults as well as your peers always trying to complete your sentences. It's a frustrating thing. You have low self esteem. You can't really get anything out there. And for me, my one mission was always to you know, as soon as I can form a sentence together without having to have all these speed bumps as I'm trying to get it out. As soon as I can do that more confidently and more often, I'm going to make that my thing. And when I overcame my stutter, I decided that I was going to try and harness his um, oratory skill as much as possible. And uh, that would be what would monetize my life. And now everything I do revolves around speaking. So I think one of those lessons in that book was so important to, instead of shying on that, see how you can embrace that and harness it and make it your thing that can make you stand out um, you know, from the crowd and really make you, uh, I don't know, I, I think bring the best potential out of yourself.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of talk about authenticity. So the, the kind of context, context there is that you know we're living in this kind of really deliberately using this word fucked up time where where everything's trying to strive for perfection. Instagram filters. You know, imagine if we all lived our Facebook feeds, how amazing our lives would be. You know? Um, and it's not real. You know, in the youth today, it's like there's this peer pressure to be perfect. What filter? And I mean, like you would see the kids trying to take self- selfies and stuff. It's just like, it's a weird psychodrama thing that they're having playouts in front of themselves with other people watching, but they're not totally aware. Um, and so you know it's about finding your your authentic self you know and living yourself for a, for a living that is the only job we should actually give a fuck about yeah you Ar-
1: know all right Entrepreneurship. Why entrepreneurship? Because um, you you state at the start of the book that you know this. There is no formula. Um, there is no you know strict guide. This is just merely a few things that you've managed to draw um, in, from people's journeys, and hopefully can help you, whoever's reading it. Um, but why is entrepreneurship so important to you to be able to emphasize um, as much as possible? Because your one mission, I feel, from my interactions with you, is to create as many entrepreneurs within people as possible.
0: Yeah, it's like entrepreneurship, you know. So if you're working in a corporate job, that's fine. If you want to be an entrepreneur, that's fine. If you want to work for an NGO and become a social entrepreneur, that's fine. If you want to be an author, that's also fine. But pick a struggle. (laughs) Pick something, you know. Because if you decide to be an entrepreneur, that's going to come with a world of pain. If you're going to work in the corporate space, that's going to come with a world of pain. If you're going to decide to write a book like this, good luck. Uh, (laughs) It's going to come with a world of pain. But pick a, pick a struggle that you're going to fall in love with. Because, you know, again, it's, it's to your point around experiences, it's like you have to fall in love with the problem over and over and over again. You know, and that's where happiness comes from. It's about solving things that you give
1: a shit about.
0: You know, and figuring that out for yourself. Um, and that's, that's the secret.
1: And last but not least, before we go to the floor, um, Matt Brown is Africa's answer to Tim Ferriss. How does that make you feel?
4: Yeah.
1: Humbled. That's rich, though. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from you. Yeah, exactly. Touche. <laughs> Touche. You either got that or you didn't. All right. Now, to the audience, uh, any questions for, for Matt about his book? Any questions regarding entrepreneurship? Um, anything at all it usually takes one person just to get it going Ah, there's one at the back Oh, there we go Rachel right
3: um, I just want to say Matt um, thank you uh, I've walked this journey literally in terms of in the park and having chatted to you about what it was you were up to you were really an inspiration for me and the circle got bigger and I actually launched my schools this week
0: oh, so, wow. congratulations yeah,
3: thank you <laughs> So it is, and um, so challenge accepted, a book on its way.
0: Yes. Uh,
2: I have a question. Um, so, Matt, on your podcasts, the last question you always ask everyone, and you've sort of touched on it when you spoke about your why, but you always ask them, why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? And now I want to know why you do what you do and what gets you out of bed in the morning. <laughs>
0: This sucks.
2: (laughs) It was either that or who is Matt Brown? No, no, no.
0: Let's not do that. No, the why is a good one. As you say, I did kind of touch on it, but you know, I I think for me, the one thing I'd want to, I'd really want to land with everyone. If you could just remember one thing from the last forty-five minutes, is like answer this question: Who are you becoming? And and the second thing I'd want you to consider is who are you helping? You know, because it's the only, the only thing that really, like in my experience, and you know, just talking to very successful, happy people, is that contribution really matters. You know, it's not about the numbers. It's, that's, you know, when you get there, you're gonna buy a lot of dumb shit. <laughs> I've done that. Um, and then you realize actually, well, what is it about then? And it's actually about contribution and doing things that help you become better than you were the day before. So that is really about becoming, because every day we're learning and we're changing and we're growing, and it's just about
1: being open to what uh, those experiences give you. There's a question at the back there from the gentleman with the beard, and then there's the one with the gentleman at the back with a lot less hair. <laughs> so, you uh, Yo, this is very loud. Um... So say say you want to be an entrepreneur, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to find their passion? Say you, you have a drive to do something but you don't know what that is yet. Just start.
0: You yeah. know, it's like you're never gonna have all the information, so just start with what you have. You know. Um, if you think you know, I can tell you the other thing. Every business that's ever started has never survived first contact with the customer. Ever. Uh, no business plan is a great exercise in theoretical thinking, but it doesn't actually exist in the real world. It's pretty, pretty worthless, right? Um, and so you have to figure out what that is. What's the value exchange between yourself as the founder and the market and the customer and the problem ultimately that you care about, right? So pick a problem that the world has and then go out there and solve it. So Elon Musk, you know, he cares about making human beings a multiplanetary species, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Richard Branson with the Branson Foundation is all about encouraging the growth of entrepreneurship. So pick a problem that you, the world has and that you think you might, you might care enough about to solve. And then go and try. But try. Do something. Execute. Because actions speak far louder than words. And when you fail, incorporate that into what you're trying to solve and iterate and start again and move and move and move and move. But never quit. Never give up. Because when you quit, you automatically fail.
4: So,
1: uh, some inhuman perseverance. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I was, was going to elaborate on that, but I don't think we have time. It's fine. Strict orders. Seven um, hi, Matt. Hey, man.
0: Um, tell me, um, why do you value putting the world first? Um, why do I value putting the world first? Because that's where value is created. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's, it's, it comes from you, but the exchange happens outside of you. Yeah. And it's about understanding that people will only pay you for the value that you create in the world. If yeah. you want to be a billionaire, right, don't just think, you know, like the secret, get a blank check, write one billion, stick it on your roof, good luck. Right, that's option one. Option two is go and solve a problem for a
1: billion people. <laughs> then you'll be a billionaire. It's very easy. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that's that's, just uh, that's one of the great ways of... Um, of looking at it, but even furthermore in terms of um, you know finding that purpose in what you want to do, just kind of remembering, um, I always remember the words uh, by Winston Churchill, which is we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. You only get to keep what you give away. I would accept the clap, but I'm not Winston Churchill, but thanks. Winston, Winston.
2: We have a question here and there, I think. I'll, I'll come to you now. So you speak a lot
3: about failure. So I just want to try and understand, how did you overcome that? And how would an over, uh, a normal individual overcome failure in their lives? Because it's pretty hard to deal with it. You kind of just become despondent towards life, towards everything you're trying to achieve. So how did you overcome it?
0: Um, just accepting that that's the truth. You know, you, you're not going to build anything of value unless you fail. It's like um, what irks me quite a lot about, you know, media, startup business-focused media is so on the front cover of magazines. It's like, you know, from zero to 50 million in three years, no failure. Zero, none. You just became rich. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be rad, right? Just And then you read and, oh, okay, actually there was a bit of failure in there. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's an inevitable part of becoming someone better than you were the day before but you have to embrace the fact that you're going to fail it's a simple thing but it takes guts right and courage and character um thanks what i wanted to ask is maybe sort of the opposite of that question and that's to do with actually fulfilling your purpose if you feel maybe it's a two-part question but what happens when you actually reach your purpose how do you define a new purpose and secondly, how do you state a purpose that's not finite, that has this end goal in mind so that you actually achieve it? This one's for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't throw me under the bus, dude. I know it's my, come on, you know. Well, I think, listen, I think from, from, from my experience, you know, uh, one, you don't find it, you have to create it. And so when you're there and, you, and you've now found it, after you've created it, why would you change it? Do you know what I mean? So I guess there's a question behind the question for me, and I get this a lot, which is when should I quit my business? And there's two, there's two, there's a framework that I use, which is about vision and then is your business making money? So I write about it in the book, but you know, are you still in love with the vision and is the business making money? If you're not in love with the vision and the business is making money, well then you should probably question why you're in that business. If you're not in love with the vision and the business is not making money, then you should absolutely consider throwing in the towel, right? But it's about understanding that you're, there's a vision for yourself, there's a vision for the world that you have, and are you in love with that vision every single day that you get up out of bed in the morning? And are you prepared to take the shit and shovel all the shit that it's going to take to get that vision manifested in your life?
4: Does that answer your question? Yeah. Matt, can I tell you a story? Please. First of all, I'm loving the book. I haven't got to the end of it yet, but I've loved every bit. And if you haven't bought the book, I think you should go buy multiple copies now.
1: I can tell you what happens at the end of it. <laughs> yes, yes. You yeah,
4: yeah. And I'm not paid for that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the story I want to tell you relates to a story that you told. Uh, at some point in time, my parents got bored and decided to do a Persian carpet course. And I don't you know, down the road is Victor Leachie, who has his annual closing down sale. So now armed with a course, my parents went to Victor Leachie to go do purchasing at his annual closing down sale. And they found a carpet they absolutely loved with a terrible black stain in it. And they called over Victor Lici and said, we love this carpet, we really want to buy it, but it's got a terrible black stain. And he said, let me tell you a story, the story that you told, that in Iran, in fact, in Persia, only God creates perfection, and man does not. And therefore, they deliberately weave a mistake into the carpet, so you know it's the work of man rather than God. And my parents ummed and awed over this carpet for a while where one of the other salespeople came over and said, can I help you? And they said, well, we love this carpet, but it's got a terrible black mark in it. And the guy went and got a bucket of water and soap and he scrubbed it and suddenly the imperfection disappeared. And, this, and the, the part that I want to do, the lesson that I draw from that story is that all of us in business sometimes go home, stick on the shower for a very long time, And we walk out and our imperfections go away and we start the next day absolutely clean and fresh and new. And that's one of the lessons that I've drawn from your book, that no matter how many times you get knocked down, if you have it in you, you have that shower, you do the little scrub and your perfections disappear.
0: Preach, thank you, Howard. Awesome, thank you, you. Howard.
1: A certified fan there, that's awesome. Howard, you saw you weren't paid to say that? Because then you're going to have to say hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored. It's a new ARB rulings. I don't know if you know that. Anyone else with a question? There you go.
0: Thanks for the questions. Hi, Matt. Hey. Ooh, this is loud. <laughs> Can I get up? Yeah, go for it. Um, I've got two questions to ask you, right? So you being where you are right now, what is more important to you? Making money over of what you're doing or having the ability to create? I would say having the ability, in fact, none of those. Yeah. You agree with that? Yes. Okay. I, I, you know what, I don't care about my business. I really don't. I care about the people
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that work to help me build my dreams. You know, and that, Matt, that comes first and foremost, you know, and when you understand that a business is just a group of people working together to achieve something, and that culture beats any strategy, any product, it's like I don't really view any other business as our competition because they can't compete with our culture. You know, and, you know, we do think we're, we're building a personal development culture where we're looking at individuals in the business and, and, and kind of creating le- legitimately personal development-related interventions to help them become better, and when multiple, when you do that across ten, we're 20 people now. Like in January, there was two of us, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny story. Uh, <laughs> I should tell you about that one, but <laughs> it involved a broom covered in an Indian. He's <laughs> <It's> over there. <laughs> but uh, but um, but it's about people, you know. And we wouldn't be scaling up. We wouldn't have won Africa's best tech startup if it wasn't for the culture.
1: Okay. Um, my next question is. I'm into podcasting
2: as well, and I've figured out that I care about the small stuff.
0: Hence, I focus so much into detail in terms of everything that I love. So with you being where you are right now, what still keeps you going? Because it seems like you have it all together. What still keeps you going? (laughs) I absolutely don't have it all together. I have those showers that Howard talks about, and I cry to myself about what a failure I was today (laughs) and why I did that thing. I shouldn't have done that thing. Um, but it's curiosity. You know, the more I think about the answer to that, it's it's literally curiosity. Like, uh, like I only know one way and that's to do it big. You know, and to ex- like literally keep pushing, keep pushing, and keep pushing and see where the universe pushes back, then I stop and I'm like, okay, maybe I went too far there, but I'm going to go left and then I'm going to keep pushing again and keep pushing again. It's about this curiosity and as I said earlier, this hunger for what's out there. Do you know what I mean? Like if you don't, Try if you don't you're not curious about what's in it for you and what you know what life has in front of you, you know what I mean? Like So you're basically a sponge. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much.
3: So Matt, first of all, congratulations, very proud. I've had the privilege of working with you and I want to understand when you had those moments where life got a bit tough in the beginning, when those businesses initially had a little bit of a, a fall off and you dug deep and you had the tenacity to get up and do it again what was your motivator?
0: Um, Being more scared about not doing something than being scared of actually failing again that's pretty much it yeah you know imagine again it's like that regret thing you know what I mean if I don't do this thing then what if what if I did And I'd hate to live that life that's instant yeah
2: Hi. um, So I've got two kind of questions about a similar topic, authenticity, really. Um, So my one question is, uh, to be your authentic self and to share your story, how do you kind of know that you're telling your story in a way that's not coming across like you're either sounding as though you know everything or as if you're feeling sorry for yourself?
0: (laughs) It's okay to feel sorry for yourself. Um, so I would say that the only way to truly know that you're living your authentic self is when you continually die to the past and live today. Because uh, that's all you got. You know, when, I can't tell you, anxiety only happens when you're projecting about the future. You get depressed when you think about the past. You only have today. You know. Um, but in terms of expressing your authenticity, that's a choice. You know, and so it comes down to reputation. You know, a lot of people said to me, like, I had this huge fear of, like, what, what if people will judge the book? You know, it's imposter syndrome thing. And, like, I do all the, I put out so much content. And, like, there's always that undercurrent, like, well, what, what, what will people think about the thing that I said? And I'm a prisoner to my words forever. You understand? Um, and then it's about acknowledging the fact that, you know, what is reputation? And wh- who, where should your reputation with yourself live? Should it live with you or should it live with other people? and you know and so it should only live with you and so you shouldn't give a shit about what other people think about you how you say how you express yourself how you dress the people you date the things you say whether you swear whether you don't who gives a shit that's you right cool Cool. I
2: actually answered all the questions it's fine two for one
1: one more question somewhere there ah there we go um from the older generation, look at, looking
2: at the millennials, I actually want to get younger, but anyway, that's too late. But It's never too late. In, well, I'm, this is what I'm coming to. What do you think of a, a discussion with Bill Gates where we'll it goes something like this? As a head of Microsoft, you ripped off the world putting software into every person's desk and telephone. Uh, and you could have actually stimulated a different market had you been more modest in your marketing aggression. Now you've created this enormous wealth called the Bill Gates Foundation, and you're giving it to selective parts of community. Is that the right formula, or is it something else?
1: I mean, honestly, for, for me, I, I would generally say, who are we to say, right? I mean, he's, he's managed to um, garner all that wealth and be able to use at least 10 per, 10% of it a year, putting it back into society. Um, what the exact right way is... Um, you know, is, 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 is preference to, to each person. But I think if he's actually making some sort of, um, of, of an impact um, with it and is trying to give back and is trying to um, find the value within his life for all the wealth that he's um, managed to managed to make, um, you can't really say whether it's the right way or not. The only thing
0: I'd say there is that he gave most of it away.
1: Yeah. So, you know, so
0: he was like, cool, I am it. Yeah. <laughs> Here I'm gonna give away ninety ninety-five percent of it away. Warren Buffett did the same thing. He still lives in the dodgy house that he's been living in for like forty years with his wife. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's it's when but the thing is you have to make the money to learn that it's not about the money. Exactly. You know. And also you have to say you have to ask bigger questions, which is why am I in this position? Why did I get so lucky? And it's a burden. You know, it's a struggle by the way, that he has to live with. What am I supposed to do with, you know $50 billion. What must I do with that, actually? And it's the a big Gates, question.
1: The Gates live in a far less, um, more, I don't know, sort of humble home. But when they're spending, they're spending an average of, uh, in the Gates Foundation, I get to do a lot of work um, with them, they spend an average of $5.8 billion a year just on um, their charitable causes, um, which are actually making massive, massive um, differences around the world. So, Yeah. But I, I completely understand that question too. Yeah, yeah, totally, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, um, sort of uh, indulging me for a little bit, there's one thing that I remember reading years ago that I think sums this book up beautifully and sort of entrepreneurship as a whole. And it's something that um, was a answer to a question on Quora, um, which is you know a, a place where people ask a lot of uh, burning questions and also not so burning questions. Um, and it was asked at Justine Musk, um, Elon Musk's ex-wife, and the question was, will I become a billionaire if I'm determined to be one and put in the necessary work required? Justine Musk then answered, will you become a billionaire if you're simply determined to be one and put in the necessary work required? No, probably not. One of the many qualities that separate self-made billionaires from the rest of us is the ability to ask the right questions. This is not the right question, which is not to say it's a bad question, (laughs) Which is not to say it's a bad question, it just, it just won't get that deep, sorry, it just won't get to that deep part of your mind working um, to help you, mulling things over when you think you're thinking about something else, sending up flares of insight. You're determined. So what? You haven't been racing naked through, the, through shark-infested waters yet. Will you be just as determined when you wash up on some deserted island, disoriented and bloody and ragged and beaten and staring into the horizon with no sign of rescue? We live in a culture that celebrates determination and hard work, but understand these are the qualities that keep you, f- you, that keep you in the game after most, most of everybody has left. It must be a typo. Or until somebody bigger and stronger picks you up and hurls you back out to sea. Determination and hard work are necessary, yes, but they are the minimum requirements, as in the absolute bare minimum. A lot of people work extremely hard and through no fault of their own, bad luck the wrong environment, unfortunate circumstances, struggle to survive. How can you leverage your time and your work? Well, shift your focus away from what you want. A, a billion dollars. And get deeply intensely curious about what the world wants and needs. Ask yourself what you have the potential to offer that is so unique and compelling and helpful that no computer could replace you. No one could outsource you, and no one could steal your product and make it better and then club you into oblivion. Not literally. Then develop that potential. Choose one thing and become a master of it. Choose a second thing and become a master of that too. When you become a master of two worlds, say engineering and business, you can bring them together in a way that will A, introduce hot ideas to each other so they can have idea sex and make idea babies that no one has seen before. B, create a competitive advantage because you can move between worlds, speak both languages, connect the tribes, mash the elements to spark fresh creative insights until you wake up with the epiphany that changes your life. The world doesn't throw a billion dollars at a person because the person wants it so bad or works so hard that they feel they deserve it. The world does not care what you want or deserve. The world gives you money in exchange for something it perceives to be of equal or greater value, something that transforms an aspect of culture, reworks a familiar story, or introduces a new one, alters the way people think about the category and makes and, and make use of it in a daily life. There is no roadmap, no blueprint for this, and a lot of people will give you a lot of advice, and most of it will be bad, and a lot of it will be good and and sound, but you will have... So you'll have to figure it out and how it doesn't apply to you because you're coming from an unexpected angle and you'll be doing it alone. Something that you speak about often, doing it alone. And most of it will be bad and a lot of it will be good and sound, but you'll have to figure it out and how it doesn't simply apply to you because you're coming from an unexpected angle. And you'll be doing it alone until you develop the charisma and credibility to attract the talents you need to come with you. Have courage, you will need it. And good luck, you'll need that too. Thank you. So a lot of what the book speaks about is is towards that. And I just want to wrap this up by saying thank you to each and every one of you for coming out, firstly. But secondly... He mentioned legacy a few times, and there's something so beautiful that I think sums, sums this up beautifully around legacy. And there's a great quote around legacy, which is the fact that um, if you want to leave a lasting legacy, then do something worth writing about uh, writing about, or write something that's worth reading. And I think he's definitely written something that's worth reading in this book. Thank you very much, Angel. Thank, Thank you very much, Matt. Congratulations. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Next time, I'll see you in white. <laughs> Okay,
0: fine, deal. <laughs> that, just, just to echo that, just thanks to each and every one of you for giving us your time, your most valuable commodity. Uh, and thank you, thank you, thank you. And
1: yeah, if you want to buy the book, great. Otherwise, it's all good. And of course, there's a book signing for everyone that wants to stay for the book signing, which is each and every one of you. Thank you. Um, Matt has got... Uh, will I think it's going to be just around the corner, yeah. um, and uh, he signs really quickly. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you'll really enjoy the fact that it's all personalised. Thank you very much. Thanks, Have a good Maps. Night.
0: Thanks, Matt. Matt, up and downy, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the kung fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Clients Haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an eleven percent share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.